Welcome to Valley Football, a discussion on race, social justice, and what is next for our conference. I'm Kelly Burke, and I am pleased to be joined by five outstanding league representatives, starting with Dana Hughes, who is a TV color analyst for our Missouri Valley Conference Game of the Week and a coworker of mine. Danan also is a former NFL wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs and played football and baseball at the University of Iowa. Nick Hill is the head football coach at Southern Illinois University and is a former Saluki quarterback. David Harris is Northern Iowa's athletic director and former Ole Miss football player. Gerard Klingscales is Indiana State's athletic director and was a dual sport athlete at Purdue playing both baseball and basketball. And Kyle Motes is Missouri State's athletic director and a former collegiate golfer at SIUE. So gentlemen, welcome to the panel and thank you so much for being here. I first wanna start off by just getting what your reaction was to the George Floyd video. It was a horrific incident, uh, very unfortunate for mankind, not just for uh, the black community and uh, unfortunate for the police as well. Um, it, it was indicative of a lot of things that have gone on in this country for decades. Uh, it's unfortunate that it had to, to show itself in that way and to that extreme, um, but just a horrific event that no one ever should witness or go through, especially where we're standing in 2020. Yeah, I would echo all of those, those same things. I mean, it, it just um, hard to stomach watch. Um, like, like Danon said, just really sad for humanity that that, that would um, – I don't know many people that would do that to a, um, an animal or – I mean that, but we've got humans dying in the street and um, so I think, I mean, it's a heart issue that, that uh, is a, a serious problem. And um, to be honest with you, it took me a few times to even watch the entire video, you know, of it happening for, for that long and to watch the people standing around and watching it. Um, probably sad um, was the first reaction of just kind of sick to your stomach. David, your thoughts? My feeling has been anger as much as anything, just watching that video and seeing this man, this human being suffering, dying literally in the middle of the street and nobody's doing anything to help. As a matter of fact, the, the police are, are just making the situation worse and nothing that George Floyd is saying is causing them to stop doing what they're doing. You know, how many times do we have to say that we can't breathe before we are understood and believed? So a lot of anger just based on what occurred, uh, based on the fact that, in my opinion, and I think it'll be shown that ultimately he was murdered uh, right in front of our eyes. And now we're going to see whether or not he and his family ultimately get justice uh, based on what occurred. But uh, those who have spoken up already are, are, are right. This is not a new problem. This is something that has happened for years. It just appears that based on this situation, it's really given credibility to what people of color have been saying for forever. Uh, not just decades, but for centuries. 
it seems to now have shed a light that people clearly understand. And I'm hoping that that means that we can use it to turn a corner in really making things different for everyone. Gerard. Kelly, I felt anger um, and I was scared. Uh, I have a 20 year old son and a 19 year old daughter. And I recognized that could have easily been them. And so I was angered and, 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 and scared. Uh, a lot like what uh, you know David said and others, it just is unfortunate that it had to be seen what people of color have always known that's gone on for so long. And to watch it play out on, this, on the screen was just devastating. Uh, like Coach said, I had trouble watching it. Um, it really just disturbed me to my core. I certainly agree with what everybody said. I, I just think it was an egregious abuse of power. And, and that just um, disbelief is another thing that comes to me along with anger. It's just I can't believe that someone would do that to somebody else. And it's just it's hard to take. And, and it isn't, certainly wasn't right. And, and I agree with David. It, it'll, it'll come out in justice and he'll, he'll be found guilty, certainly. There, there's just uh, – it's just uh, hard to believe that people could do that to one another. Gerard, Danon, and David, this, this next question is for you. You three obviously all grew up as black men in America. Um, and as we previously mentioned, you know, you were athletes at, at Purdue, at Iowa, and at Ole Miss. So I'm curious, what is an example of a time in your life, whether as a student athlete or otherwise, that you have experienced racism? It's very interesting because obviously I grew up five minutes from New York City. And then I went out to the cornfields of Iowa. And now I'm down here in Kansas City. So I've been in the Midwest for, you know, almost 30 years now or more than 30 years. And um, I've seen police officers make dead U-turns to pull me over just because we caught eye contact, not because I was speeding, uh, not because a taillight was out or what have you. I, I actually was doing a podcast driving from the chiropractor the other day and a police officer pulled behind me for five miles. And I could tell through the rearview mirror that he was running my information. And I'm sitting and talking on my speaker in the car about this same topic. And it jolted me. You know, I lost track of my thoughts. I lost track of the points I wanted to make on the radio. And um, that's the norm. You know, we've become accustomed to brushing some of this stuff off. Um, recognizing when, when police are just uh, pulling us over because it's driving while, while black. Um, I've seen that I've experienced that. I grew up in North Jersey where most of the guys I grew I graduated with are either police or firemen. And I've had these conversations with them. And I've also had family members that still live there that have gone through things. We're seeing things now in the news with the University of Iowa and, and some alumni that are there. So they have gone through different things as well. So this is, this is not new. Like Coach, like David said, this, is, this has been around for decades and centuries, and I've experienced it from every angle, the looks, the assumptions, uh, the, the quick uh, stance in regards to feeling like a threat, like a police officer speaking to me and feeling like he's immediately in a threatening position. 
And um, that's, that just creates a lot of anxiety and angst. And like Sherard said, fear, because I have five children, two of them are young men. Um, and so it, it perpetuates itself in many different ways. But yeah, I've had those experiences. Uh, Kelly, well, I can give uh, numerous uh, you know, examples of, of objective racism. To me, it's been more, I could talk more about how it's just something that you just experienced in terms of, you know, you have to be, you can't make any mistakes. You have to be perfect in what you do, how you say it. And then when you say it that way, then judge, well, wow, you can do this, you can do that. So it's something that's, per, that, that's kind of pervasive in just society. And again, you just kind of embrace it because you have to. Uh, if you don't, then you're going to be one that's going to be kind of set aside. So, you know, while there's a lot of objective uh, uh, of racism that I've experienced, to me, the course of my time um, uh, as a 50-year-old uh, black man is that the, 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 the perceptions that I have to overcome each and every day to, to dispel what people already believe about me and then having to always kind of be on on, on, on time, all the time. And that, that knowing that if I don't, then I'm going to be judging there to this call. I call it gotcha. Oh, there, there it is. And so that's why I've always trained my children. My parents train me the same way that I have to be on point all the time in what I do and that my margin for error is. Yeah. Which, which is crazy, Sherard, because you think about yourself, Dana, David, I mean, on, on paper, or, or, you know, you guys are all three very successful men at what you do um, and the way you live your life. And it's just unfathomable to, to think that. David, um, I, I'd, I'd love for you to jump in, too, on the question. Sure. A couple of things immediately come to mind. I can remember being in high school. I remember this distinctly. I was a sophomore. And... During a game, I remember getting into it with a guy on the opposing team. I think he was an offensive lineman. I was a defensive lineman. Just normal football stuff. No big deal. But then I remember, of all places, going through the handshake line. In the handshake line after the game, and when I came up to the guy to shake his hand, he leans in and calls me the N-word. During the handshake line after the game. And so I get furious and I'm in a spot where I go after him and have to be separated from him. Now, not the first time in my life I'd been called that, but certainly not something I was expecting to have happen after a football game from an opponent. Uh, I also think about when I was younger, one of my responsibilities was that I would go with my mom to the grocery store to get groceries every two weeks or every month, however often we would go. I uh, always looked at it as an opportunity to be able to stack the basket with whatever it was that I wanted to have in the house. So we ended up getting a lot of cookies and honey buns and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that was a, always a good thing for me. But I also remember, and I was probably about my son's age. So my son is nine. I have two kids, uh, an 18-year-old and, and a nine-year-old. When I was about my son's age, I can remember being in the store distinctly and having my hand in my pocket, my hands in my pockets, and I can remember my mom yelling at me saying, do not put your hands in your pocket. As a young black boy, if you have your hands in your pocket, the people in the store are going to think that you stole something, mm -hmm. and that is going to cause a problem. 
And this was, you know, if I were eight or nine, this was about 1979, 1980. I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And so back to what Sherrard was talking about, it's not even always the times that overt racism is a part of what you go through, but it's the implications of that that can cause you problems to where now, you know, as a nine-year-old boy, I'm going around instead of thinking about grabbing an extra honey bun or whatever, uh, I'm thinking, okay, don't put your hands in your pocket. Don't put your hands in your pocket because I'm le legitimately afraid now yeah. that they're going to think I stole something and they're going to call the police and I'm going to end up going to jail just because, and my mom didn't make that up, right? She wasn't saying that to scare me. She was saying that because she loved me and she had seen that, right? She had seen that behavior. She had seen, you know, she grew up in, in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. And so she had seen that behavior uh, with young black men and didn't want me to be any part of that. And so just the, the really insidious nature of how there, the existence of racism causes people of color to have to take certain precautions, yeah. whether they're always necessary or not, to try to make sure that we're not gonna even appear to be doing something wrong, uh, really can be an exhausting uh, exercise. Hey, and then no. to, to add on to that, you feel irresponsible if you don't teach your kids that same thing. Yeah, Kelly, uh, I haven't necessarily had that conversation with my son yet, but it's coming. Oh, yeah. Kelly, I think that's a great point, not to interrupt your, your plan here, but, um, you know, David and Sherrard, when, when they reference these, these pre-conversations before you go in the store, before you go out on the street, those are precautionary measures that we have to take as black men, as family men, as uh, people with children. Uh, I, I often ask some of my friends, white buddies around, people I golf with, hang out with, you know, what do you, I, I coach baseball and teenagers, what are you t telling your kids when they interact with the cops? You know, most of it is just be respectful, don't be a jerk, general stuff like that. I said, you want to hear the laundry list of things that I tell my kid, my son, as you're getting pulled over, turn the lights on in the car, put your phone on record. Get all your ID out as you're still driving. Make sure your seatbelt is attached. Even if you gotta reach for your wallet while your seatbelt's attached, keep it attached. Uh, have all your information out on the dashboard. Hands at 10 and two on the, on the steering wheel. Like there's this list. My son is, I have a 28 year old and a 24 year old. And they've, been, they've known that since they were 16 years old. That's, that's a difference. Um, when people talk about white privilege, it's not about growing up better with a silver spoon or not. It's about not having to have that kind of conversation. That's a privilege. So not to interject, but uh, as, as David and Sherrard was talking about those list points, that just kind of brought to my mind all the other things, whether you're in a grocery store or driving or walking around a neighborhood, don't wear your hood, you know, all these different things that we have to prepare our young men for that we shouldn't in an equal society. I'm, I'm glad you interjected, Dana, and anybody that wants to add something to any of these questions, please feel free to, to chime in. Um, 
Kyle, Nick, and, and David will come back to you for this one. What have the conversations looked like over the last two weeks with your coaches, with your support staff, with your players? Well, when it when it first happened, you know, when, when you're when you're away from them, it's uh, obviously you wish you were in person so you could um, hug them, talk to them, um, just like you would your your own your own kids or your your son or or anything. But you know, so we we hopped on a call um, the day that that uh, it was two Fridays ago, a team meeting, and I first. Uh, and even right now in, in this conversation, almost like apologize uh, beforehand for some of my, I don't even know the right word, ignorance to the situation that if I, I, I hope that I had created an environment, but I wanted everybody to have the, the platform to talk, to get their feelings out. So really we had a, just a open conversation of, um, Number one, that I loved them and that I, I was there for them. But I'm, I'm also a, a 35-year-old white man from Southern Illinois, and they, they know me. And, um, but I, and I wanted them to feel like they have a platform and that they could talk, they could be angry, they could be whatever their feelings were. were like you guys said, I mean, anger was coming, you know, and that's natural and it's okay. And um, so we, we, since then, it's not just a one, it's not a statement. I didn't want them to feel like I was just making a statement or uh, uh, put something out there in it, then it, so it's the follow-up and actions speak louder than words. And so we've had multiple team meetings. This morning, our team meeting, when we started our OTAs was just about all we had, we put them into working groups and I've had individual conversations with a lot of our guys that wanted to reach out and have individual conversations of what, you know, things in their, their hometowns that they're doing. Um, I went to two peaceful protests, one with some players, one with our uh, Marty Rogers, who's our corners coach that's uh, been in my life since 2006 when I was his host here at SIU and he's the first coach that I ever hired in my, my career and his family and kids, I feel I've watched them be born. And, and uh, so I went and marched with them in a, in a protest. And um, so even now you feel like you're rambling on, it's really just open conversations. I think that we've come to conclusion within our team is like, let's continue these conversations. What can we do in the, when we do come back together in Carbondale of ways that we can um, make a difference of uh, three obtainable goals our leadership council is working on that they, that they can do. I've also said to our staff any, and, our, and our white players that this is a time to listen and learn. Uh, I've been talking to my brother, you know, my brother played quarterback here too. And, and since then, and Kelly, you, me and you talk about reading all the time. Yeah, and I've just went on and 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 started ordering books on things that I need I need to learn. I these some of these things Tony Dungy came out and put these things out and I've taught I didn't even know about. And that's my own you know like educating myself some things that really will make you mad. And I said my you know of the you know the the GI bill like the these people that fought in World War II and over a million people came back and they weren't even given the same equal rights that the the other person that fought for our country 
and um, didn't know any of that. And I don't know if that, you know, and it's like, we need to get back out our history, but and it wasn't that long ago. That's what may is, is we're talking about the sixties. Now that I'm 30, you're 35. And it's like, this wasn't that long ago. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of years that have went by and we're talking about 50 years ago that you couldn't even drink out of the same water fountain, all these things that are still going on. I think that a lot of people have turned a blind eye to, and I'm glad that they're getting brought to the surface uh, to hopefully then create real change. Kyle? We're in a similar situation where, where we came out and, and um, kind of had a platform that we talked with with the head coaches, and, and, and my concern was, again, I, I think conversation needs to be had, but I really think action is the most important thing, and Nick just mentioned it. It's it's what can we do? And I, I, I would, I can't imagine, you know, I'm not, not in that situation. I'm not a black man. I have never been, can't walk in those shoes. And, and I, I have no idea. And all I know is what's happened is not right. And, and all I can do is try to make it better with whatever control that I have over the 400 student athletes that I oversee and the staff that we have. And that was my message to, to our folks was we're going to do something. I don't know if it's going to be right. Uh, certainly, we're not going to change the world by what we do. It, it's, but, but we're going to take part in what we can do and make it better and make people understand the situation, educate them, and then do the best we can at making sure that these things don't happen. Uh, and part of, our, part of our program was going back to, uh, not to get too much in the weeds, but starting with with community involvement at a young age you know again i don't know what the what the experts say if it's second or third grade third or fourth but but these issues at their level need to be discussed because they're shaping their uh, their ideals at this particular time and, and a lot of that comes from their parents i get that and can't change what their parents necessarily do but we certainly can do it in the educational realm and we're out in the community and that's where we, we can make a difference there. I know we can. Our, all of our student athletes, not just in Springfield, Missouri, all of them can. So that was one of the areas that, that we wanted to concentrate on. We don't have all the answers in terms of programming, but we're working on it. We're talking about it. Our student athletes are engaged in it. They want to be part of it, which is, which is great. And, and, you know, everybody has diversity training. We, we certainly have it, but, but we need to ramp it up. It's not as good as it should be or it can be, and, and we got to do better at that. So uh, I think those are some of the, the areas that, that we're just trying to zero in on what can we do uh, to make a difference. And, and I realize it, 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 uh, it certainly it's a daunting task. It really is. But, but to not do anything is not the right answer. And I would, I would say with Kyle is, is like, I feel like this is a really a, a white problem. And as two, as uh, two guys on here and, you know, like he said, with the kids, as I, I read the Nelson Mandela, it's like hatred, it's a learned thing. And so is love like that. You don't, and I, I think of my little girls and they, they, they don't know that has to be taught and heard at the dinner table and brought up and, those type of things. And you, you really think back on it. And even for, for me and the margin for error, I wrote that down, taking notes is like, I've never felt that, but I've seen that with our players. We recruit a kid with dreadlocks from Miami and he's in Carbondale and his margin for error to mess up, you know, is so small 
And that's a real thing. And it shouldn't be, you know, if he's walking or if he's in Walmart or, or whatever, just because of the color of his skin and the way that he wears his hair is not, is not right. And you really, if, if you're not going to admit that too, now listen, we, we played a, a sermon to our, our players this morning and it's a pastor in LA is like, until we all admit there's a problem, you can't fix the problem. And we have to all be willing to say that there is a problem, a big problem, uh, no matter if you feel like you're racist or whatever. But there are, there are a lot of people that need to dig real deep in their heart to know that, yeah, I can change some things. I can, I can make a difference. I can change my heart. David, what are some of the conversations that you've had in Cedar Falls? Fortunately, one of the things that we started doing when I arrived here four years ago is that each fall we would have what are called listening sessions with student athletes of color, where basically I would go into the room with select student athletes and just listen to them talk about issues and challenges and things that they wanted to share uh, with, with me directly. So a couple of times we've done that uh, in our offices. I think this past fall I did it in my home uh, with student-athletes just trying to build their relationship. From that, we built what's called a, a multicultural uh, student-athlete leadership team, where on an annual basis, usually a couple of times a year, they are responsible for putting on events uh, for our student-athletes of color. And in addition to having those fun events, or as a part of having those fun events, then we have a speaker come in and, and talk with them about uh, the importance of what they do, how they do it, how they carry themselves, how to set them up for success. Uh, this past fall, we also did a session where we brought in African-American male community leaders into a session with our African-American student athletes just so they can see you know, these are all the people that are in the community that can help you and support you. And these are all the different careers that they are pursuing. So you have the opportunity not to not only be able to do all of these things, but or any of these things, but that you have a mentor, you have someone who is there that is willing to help you. So now as we go through this situation this summer, I was telling a staff member just recently that we want to bring that group back together in a virtual format and a Zoom call, have student athletes and some of those professionals come back together to just talk about how they're doing and how they're handling the situation and to have a check-in point with them. We also wanna do it with our African-American uh, female student athletes and African-American women that are in the community to give them a, a checkpoint. So, for us, it's a part of an ongoing process that will continue to try to make sure that we're building relationships, that we're empowering them, that we're giving them a voice and ability to know that they can speak on anything and feel heard, and that we're really encouraging them. And then with our coaches, we just had this conversation at our last head coaches meeting, which I guess was on Thursday or Friday of last week and really just opened it up for them to be able to share their thoughts and share their experiences and share how their student athletes are doing 
uh, and then talk a little bit about how we can work as a department to make sure that this is something that we address because for us, the view is that with everything that's going on with the pandemic, we know that that's something that everybody's going to be dealing with if and when they come back to campus in the fall. But so is this. They're going to be uh, on uh, equal footing uh, in many cases, and not just for students of color, for all students, because uh, I've gotten you know any number of phone calls, emails, text messages from people of all racial backgrounds uh, reaching out, expressing frustration, being upset. And so uh, I would think we're going to have black, white, brown students coming back to our campuses across the country with a lot on their minds and a lot that they want to share and needing support. And so we can't be blind to the fact that this is going to impact students across the board. Uh, and then finally, I think Coach mentioned that this is, this is something we all have to work on together. Sometimes the traditional view of how you deal with issues of diversity or a lack of diversity or anything around people of color is that you get a group of, of, of people of color together in a room and you send them in the room and you ask them to come up with recommendations and suggestions on what can be done differently. And African-American people can't solve racism. We just can't, uh, certainly not on our own. We need help. And in many cases, in, in all cases, it's not a problem that we created. It's not a problem that we asked for. We didn't create it. We don't want it. We want to get rid of it. But it's not something that we can dictate. It's not something that we can make happen. We need the cooperation of our, our white brothers and sisters and our brown brothers and sisters. Everybody uh, sticking up for just the idea that we are all human beings. We're all deserving of respect, and we all want this country to live up to its ideals. What kind of transparency do you think is needed going forward? Um, and, and Dana, not only with this league, but you could also speak to the situation and the accusations going on at University of Iowa too. Yeah, I think in anything, you know, I've never been to a Alcoholics Anonymous class. I've never been to a Drug Anonymous class or any of those, but uh, it's my understanding that the first thing that you have to address is acknowledging. Uh, this is what I am. This is what's happening. I think Nick hit it dead on and Kyle as well. Um, there's an acknowledgement that's going on now that we had never seen before. And I think that's encouraging, but that can't be it. Uh, we've all been athletes. If I false stepped at the line of scrimmage or an offensive lineman took a false step on a pull or uh, you know, Sherrard with his basketball, his elbow out versus elbow in or arm slots, David in football at the D-line in the trenches. If something was going on, we didn't, the coaches didn't just address it one time, me acknowledge it, and then he never talked to me again about it. It was repetition, ironing out. Ironing so, out. And that's what's needed now. Um, that's what we're seeing is we're seeing people stepping up and saying, I don't care anymore about what I'm thinking and I'm keeping it to myself. I'm saying it. We've seen it at Iowa. We're seeing it on campuses all over. We're seeing it with, with leaders. 
you know, we're, the time to shut up is no longer going to be a place. And we have to make those adjustments. And the first thing would be about listening. Like, like Nick said, it's got to be about listening and hearing everybody. And I'm encouraged that that's happening now. I often equate the, this to, to this. And, and Kelly, if, if one of your, not to put this on you, so I'll just say one of your girlfriends has a job and comes to this group and talks about sexually, being sexually harassed. Or, or objectified, or what have you. You know what this group is going to do? I'm just going to make a big assumption. We're going to shut up and listen. You know, oftentimes what we're seeing a lot in social media and 24-hour television is people got a lot of opinions about something that they will never, ever experience. And what we need to do is just shut up and listen sometimes, and that's encouraging in itself because you'll never know the weights that are on different people's shoulders based on the experiences that they've gone through in their lives for generations. So uh, that's a huge step. I commend you guys for being willing and opening that, that kind of door. But that's what's necessary is listening, making Black people feel like, for the first time, my experience matters. Because in the past, you always tried to tell me it was, I was just making it up. And that's what we're seeing, a, a dynamic that's shifting in the right way. I like that tagline, shut up and listen. That's good, Dana. <laughs> Sherard, your thoughts? Yeah, Kelly, you know, I would say uh, with two words. First of all, I'd say authenticity. You know, I think more than now, more than ever, you know, and it starts with our coaches, that people have to speak and be really authentic. Right now, it's very easy to have this discussion and to, have, and to show empathy. But to me, it goes deeper to the, than that. And I think that's be genuine authenticity. And to go along with that is, I think it takes courage now. It's going to take courage for people to be able to admit their wrongs. It's going to take courage for people to hire people that aren't like them. Uh, it's going to take courage to be able to give people opportunities that they may not before. Uh, you know, and obviously have to, people have to earn those opportunities. But uh, those two things really uh, resonate with me. You know, authenticity, I tell my coaches all the time, if you're not authentic, forget about it. And I, I just, I like to be around people that when they say what they mean, they mean what they say. I had a pitching coach with the Cubs, a Oscar Acosta, who, who's gone now. But when I joined the Cubs, he was so honest with me. He told me how bad I really was. <laughs> and I really appreciated it, as opposed to the other organization that told me everything I wanted to hear. So I think that that, that authenticity almost turned my career around. So those are the two things that I think that are important to be authentic, generally authentic, and then to show true courage and to provide opportunities to people that earn them and, and, and give them an opportunity to do what they do. The, the next question is for all of you. How can our football teams be leaders going forward, addressing racial, racial injustice, not only in our athletic departments, but in our communities and by working with local law enforcement to team together to find a solution. Well, I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, Coach Mallory is our coach, and, you know, he's, he's from, this, from the state, and so there's already that relationship, and we already do so much. Again, I, I hate to say this, but some people are being reactionary, but if you're a person that's authentic, you do that stuff all along, so this is just a part of it all. So what we're doing as a football staff, we're thinking about doing a, a, a vote, uh, registration together, 
Uh, we're, you know, getting involved and doing things like that. But uh, Kelly, we've always been involved with our fire department, our police department. Uh, Coach Mallory always has them come around the team. Um, uh, we've done a couple of picnics with them, um, car washes. So to me, the, 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 the template's already, already there. We just got to continue to do that and, uh, uh, and, and go forward. Kyle. I think our biggest thing, and I'm not going to speak for Bobby, but, but uh, uh, I think more of anything, we've never had those conversations. We just never had. And it's not that we didn't want to have them. We just never did. And in Springfield, Missouri, we need to have those conversations, right? We are not like everywhere else. Um, and, and it's important for our players to, to feel like they have an open line of communication that we can – do what they need, need us to do and help them and support them because it hasn't always been good in Springfield, Missouri, I can tell you. And uh, we're trying to break down those barriers. And I think this situation will help that, not just for the university, but for our city. And it's really, it's been great for our city. Not, not that what happened is great. Please don't take that the, the wrong way. But, but it's really, it's helped us in, in this situation and, and I think we'll grow from it. And I want our players to feel like that they can be open and come to us about anything. And, and we'll start from there. After that, we'll figure out what the programming is and what we can do. But uh, uh, I don't think it's always been like that. And, and I'm hoping and I know that, that things have been different, at least in the last three or four weeks. David. I would say the same thing to them as I would say to anyone in this situation, and that's really about holding each other accountable in the private conversations that are occurring. Because within a team environment, you already have that happening in many regards to the sport. You have captains, you have people that are maybe not captains, but are leaders, and we're all holding each other accountable for working out hard or you're running or the way that you played in the game or getting places on time or just doing the little things. All of that is built into the fabric of what sport is all about. And because of that, and because you have people of different races who are brought together, there is a, a, a connection, a brotherhood that comes not just from being around each other all the time and really going to battle for a common cause and trying to ensure victory, but because you have a level of honest conversations that you don't always see outside in the real world. The, the things that people talk about in locker rooms or on football fields or in private conversations, there's a level of rawness and honesty uh, that I think when student athletes finish their careers, they end up missing having that type of camaraderie, that type of connection and those types of conversations. So to me, I think it's just building on those already existing conversations, that culture that exists that says, hey, if you're doing something wrong, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you with love. I'm going to tell you with respect. You may not want to hear what I have to say. You may not necessarily like the way that I say it but I'm always going to do it in a way that try to help you be a better person and try to help you have a better understanding of what it is that we're talking about. And so when we talk about football teams going out and connecting with the police department or being leaders in the community and the things that they can do, I think the first step in all of that is all of us kind of, you know, checking ourselves internally and the people 
that we're around most of the time and to make sure that your teammates, that your team is in alignment with uh, the right things to do in the right way uh, to get those things done. And if you can do that, if you can do that as an individual, do it first and foremost with yourself, but then with your teammates and the people that you come into contact with, it's amazing how some of those bigger issues start to take care of themselves a little bit more just because you're beginning to not only change the mind of people, but you're beginning to impact their heart, which is an even bigger aspect of how we should be going forward. Nick. I think what, what all three of, of those guys said, and, and can't really say it better than David and, and Sherard, I feel like already so many football programs are doing these type of things. And, and same thing with the, the police and uh, the firefighters in the community and, and having these people come in and be around your team and uh, creating those relationships and the community service and getting them out with the younger uh, the kids and and I think the the more people that you can get them around we've had a, a conversation with our team is that you know in, in a football locker room with 105 guys of all different races that's where, where I sometimes probably take it for granted that you've been teammates with so many people you play this game long enough and you you compete and you play and you have great friendships and and that average person, you know, even from where I'm, where I'm from, you know, might have one or two relationships with an African-American friend or family, you know, the, the, the two families that live in your town, not the hundreds of teammates that I've had and friends and, and all of that. And so I've talked to our guys as we have to, to be even more advocates for our brothers of uh, the black race on our teams of letting them know, I think where I can, and I've apologized is I have to do a better job of interjecting in those private conversations or even just a conversation that you hear. Sometimes maybe it's like, man, I'm just going to remove myself from this situation because this isn't a conversation that I agree with or um, whatever it is, but being more so now, not confrontational, but bringing it to their attention on why we're not, you can't even, instead of removing yourself is bringing yourself into the conversation to talk about the, the uh, why. And so I think that letting them see our, you know, our team together. I mean, that's the one thing that football, you come to our games and you see, um, you know, black offensive linemen blocking for white quarterbacks and throwing and catching. And what this, this game does is, is uh, the, just the connecting in the community should be able to come out and, and see that and watch that. But we have helmets on and we have shoulder pads on and they cheer for us. But the more we can get them out there to take the helmet off and they see what the, the great young men that we have is, is what I – need to do a better job of you try to do it you try to get them out there in the community but trying even harder of that aspect and really taking a step back and listening and learning on what ways can we do a better job of that of um getting these guys out there just for when people get to know them on a personal level 
um, of seeing what great young men we have on our team in, in this town. Dana. I think everybody's got great points, and I would add on one more is consistency. And we all come from sports backgrounds. We didn't watch film just for one game or one mistake. We, we, we learned what everybody coined as muscle memory, doing the same thing over and over until, until it becomes second nature. So that's what I think the football program should do. There should be implemented coaches just like you guys are very regimented in your practice schedules, the travel schedules, everything down to the minute on where players are supposed to be and when they're supposed to be there. There has to be a concerted effort to be consistent with the message. When we have protests that we're having now and marches and everybody's participating, I want to see what happens next week. I want to to see what happens next month. These people that are organizing all these different things is great for now, very necessary for now. But let let me see what you're doing next year. Uh, What have you implemented in your program that is going to have staying power to to enforce what you're what you're trying to enforce um the i I have people and friends that have a small amount of followers on social media and we get into a back and forth and my i don't try to bang somebody over the head with a racial conversation like i am the utmost authority but i just try to present a perspective that maybe like kyle said you go and nick talked about where you have Um, white people that don't have black friends, don't interact on a regular basis with black friends. I'm right up the road from Springfield, so I know about that, Kyle, and and that area of the state. And what I say is, okay, you don't have all the followers. You may not be around a bunch of black people, but you know what this, this subject is now. You have Thanksgiving dinner. You got Christmas dinner with your family. You got the neighborhood barbecue. You got a happy hour with your coworkers. You meet around at the coffee, at the coffee pot in the office. There are opportunities, and it's gonna take consistency. And 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 like David and and Sherrod talked about earlier, breaking down those um, preconceived notions that you're not supposed to talk about it. Like the old saying of you don't talk religion, don't talk politics, and don't talk money. Forget all that. Forget this is a time if that has ever been a staple in your houses or in your programs, that's when this needs to be erased. That's when we need to be able to break down and talk about all of those topics and, and, and situations that we're incurring in our world so that the next generation of uh, Saluki football, the next generation of Bear football, the next generation of family members of David and Sherrard and Danan will have something better that they can stand on top of. Um, That's what I think we should all be called to do. Gentlemen, I wanna be respectful of your time. So we have just a couple more questions. Nick, you said something early in our our discussion. Um, You mentioned that you had participated in two peaceful protests last week. And so what what are the big takeaways from those protests, those peaceful protests that you participated in, the ones that I I, uh, I left, I was I was even more in, inspired uh, listening to the the speeches, um, listening to the, um, the the especially the the individuals that put it on, the reasons why they put it on, 
And I was encouraged to see our um, community show up, um, whites and black. There were so many people there, you know, that were um, happy to take the streets. I mean, there was, in Carbondale, I don't know how many people they ended up saying, a couple thousand, you know, showed up. And it was just based off of, I mean, word of mouth is how I, I heard that was going on. A couple of players asked me to, to go with them and me and the basketball Brian walked up there from here and it was I mean it, it um it was peaceful it was for the right the right reasons um I don't know I whenever I went I didn't know what to expect I'd never been to a, a protest before so I guess it was it was new to me and um but I left there even more um, I guess inspired to create change, uh, to spread the word of people that weren't there. Couldn't wait to talk to my some family members on, you know, how it was and and that is. Um, so I don't know if that that makes sense, but I, I left there and I was like I was um, encouraged and inspired uh, by all of the people and the way that they were treating each other at the protest. What gives you? hope going forward that we can continue to create meaningful change? Well, Kelly, the fact that we're having the conversation means an awful lot. Um, I think that, 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 that something is unfortunate is in reaction to something. Uh, but I think the fact that uh, David and I are here in this position shows that, that we've made some, uh, some, some, some progress and that we can build on, on this and continue to grow so that you know, people come behind us, we'll have even more opportunities. Uh, so I'm certainly encouraged. You know, I'm, I'm an optimist. We have to be. Uh, but, but that's what I'm encouraged about because I know that I wouldn't be where I'm at if it weren't for people of the other color that helped me and supported me. But the key to that was, Kelly, is that they gave me an opportunity to be successful. You have to be set up to be successful. And I think that's the part that I think that, that people have missed a lot um, is that when you are set up for success, obviously you got to take advantage of it and earn it. But you have to put your student-athletes, you have to put people in your management team. You have to put people in a position to be successful in order for them to grow and then support that. Even if they make mistakes, allow that and help them to grow through it and move on. That's what I've seen in my, my, my life is that people sometimes are given opportunities to be successful. And after a while, they figure it out. That's what I hope that people like myself and Dana and, da and David are setting for other people going forward. I don't think we have a choice. I think it's the right thing to do, and we should be doing it. And and for whatever excuses we've given and and throughout history, it, it's it's the right thing to do. I, I just go back and try to. I'm really a simple person. I'm not very complicated at all. It's just if you do the right thing, um, it makes it a lot easier. And and I realize that some folks don't do the right things, but but our ability to try to do the right thing and be an influence of others is all we can do because it's the right thing. I, I, I had this, uh, you know, again, it's, it's probably, it seems too simplistic, but, but, you know, everybody else has talked about uh, athletics and, and we have that huddle. And when you look in the huddle, you don't care if they're black, you don't care if they got green eyes, you don't care if, we don't care what they have. We're trying to win the game based upon who's in that huddle and who's on that team. What, what I get somewhat frustrated about is, and I think Tom Herman said, or has been saying it at Texas, and I haven't read his entire thing, but, but it's like, it's okay, you know, for our fans and everybody else when we're on the field. 
But then when we walk away, well, I think what Dana said, when we walk away from that, then, then everything changes. Well, I don't know why it has to change. I don't get that. It doesn't make sense to me. If, if everybody's good enough when you're playing to root for them, slap them on the back when they walk around the, the, the court or the field, and then it's like all of a sudden it's different. We just change our uh, uh, perception and change our judgment on things. Uh, athletics is good, and then all of a sudden when we get off, we lead the field, then it changes. Well, I don't think it has to do that. that that's extraordinarily frustrating to me because I think that same person on the field is the same person off the field. You know, again, now some may say, well, you know, he's, he's really aggressive and he's a great player. I'm not getting into the actual playing of the person, but I'm just saying that it's good enough to root for Missouri State on the field. Why can't you root for Missouri State off the field and fill in the blank of the school, fill in the blank? It's just uh, um, at this particular time, I, it's just the right thing to do. We've got to make good, educated decisions and do what's right for people. And I just think it, now is the time more than ever and, and we just have to do the right thing. And I know that's extraordinarily simplistic, but um, it, it's just, I think that's where we're, we've got to start somewhere where people understand that uh, um, just your way isn't the only way. And, and somewhere we've gotten so separated, and I don't know when it happened, but it's like, you know, I'm not getting into politics, but one way can't be the only way. If you believe this can't be the only way. There, there's different ways of doing things. And, and we're not, we can't be so absolute. And I feel like we're absolute. So I'll stop there, Kelly. Sorry, I get rambling. I shouldn't do that. I apologize. No uh, David. I'm hopeful because I think more than any other time that I can remember, there seems to be really powerful momentum around these conversations. If you're at home, as I know, uh, many of us are, and you're watching TV and you see the protests that are happening, people speaking out, people of all colors, people of all backgrounds who are really motivated to try to make a change. Now, I agree completely with Damon. Where are they going to be next week, next month, and next year? But as we sit here today, I can never remember a time when I have more people reaching out to me asking questions. I have a friend of mine from high school who called me just yesterday to have this conversation because he had some things that he was curious about and that he wanted to run by me so he could learn and, and take those things into interactions that he's having in his daily life. That doesn't happen all the time. But that's not the first time that that's happened since all of this has occurred. So I feel like for the first time in a very long time, maybe for some of us ever, that there is a listening taking place. There is a pulling together that's taking place. People are using their voices the way that they never have before. People are really standing for what is right. They're looking for a way that they can be a part of that change. They're asking themselves and their friends some tough questions in order to make the adjustments necessary to be able to make it better for everyone. I'm encouraged because I hear people starting with themselves. They aren't talking necessarily about how they're gonna change this person or that entity or that organization. Many of the people who are talking to me are talking about you know, this situation has kind of changed my perspective. 
I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about how I do things. I'm thinking about my biases and my stereotypes or my assumptions that I've made about people and situations and circumstances. And so if, if we can all continue to do that, if we can be consistent in doing that, then I'm very hopeful that the product of all of that soul searching, so to speak, will be changed behavior uh, in a number of ways. Now, it's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be easy. There's never been anything about this struggle that has been easy. But I think people have been giving a very real example that they can hang their hat on and understand this is what it can look like if you're an African-American in America. It's not acceptable for any of us. Not only is it not acceptable for Black people, but it's not acceptable for all people. It's not acceptable for any American. It's not acceptable for anybody who loves our country. Not acceptable for anybody who loves the human race and who believes the ideals that our country was founded on. What we saw with George Floyd has nothing to do with that. It is the exact opposite of everything that we're about and everything that we stand for. And I, I'm just encouraged that I hear people saying that and understanding that and wanting to do their part to change it. Dana, what gives you hope? Well, uh, you know what? What's cool about this forum right here is we've all been connected to sports uh, for a large part of our lives. We played in big venues. David's been down in the SEC, loud, obnoxious venues. Uh, obviously, there, there, are, there are venues in the Missouri Valley Football Conference that create some problems and, and coach you guys, prepare for crowd noise and everything else. Sherrod, when he played at Purdue, he heard me screaming, boo, boo, <laughs> when, I, when I was in the dugout and he was on the mound and then he struck me out with a curveball in the dirt. I remember that. Um, but uh, I say that because we all are tuned in and conditioned to eliminate the, the noise, to perform and eliminate the noise. And that's what I think is necessary. Going forward, we, you know, George Floyd died. He was murdered. But we're seeing for every one, two, or five different texts or emails or posts, we're seeing thousands about the riots and the looting. We're getting distracted. We're allowing the crowd noise of outside circumstances, which are dead wrong. I'm not condoning any of that, looting and rioting. The protest is great. The other stuff, unnecessary. But what I'm saying is, is that that extra noise, we can't allow that to drown out the actions that are necessary. Um, so that's, that's the direction that I want is, we all have common sense. Some people have business sense. Some people have other book sense. We all have common sense. Common sense, like Kyle said, tells us what's right and wrong. Let's focus on what's right. Let's focus on the, on the path at hand and not get distracted with the other noises that are going to come, the daggers that are going to come from, from different races, from different causes, and, and, and stay focused on the goal. Nick, why don't you close us out? I'm encouraged listening to Dana and David and Sherrard and and listening to their their 
hope and listening to them right now encourages me that, that they see that things are different um, this time. Obviously, the consistency and the things that, that have to happen, like Danian said, what are we doing a year from now? But them being through this and living it is them being encouraged and listening to Barack Obama say, this time feels different on that, you know, it, it, then that gives me like opens my eyes to it being different. And uh, I agree. The conversations are, are, are different. Um, just the, the, I don't know, attention to people, more people just hearing more people use their voice of like, of, of just tired and willingness uh, to change. My, my thing is that as a, as a Christian, I'm, I think that it's woke up a lot of people that, that attend on Sundays and, but where in the Bible is it talking about uh, that this is the right way to act? They, they need to, people are searching their hearts on what it really means to be a good human and to be a good Samaritan. And those stories is needs to be brought out. And that's encouraging to me too, of people taking ownership. And uh, so that, that's encouraging me. It's encouraging to listen to our team of the, the continued uh, courage that they have, the stories that they're willingness to, to hear and then look to the right and look at a, a white teammate and tell them they love them still through all, I mean, watching this on TV and everything and seeing that it's inspiring to watch these, these young kids still come to, together um, is inspiring to me. I would say one thing I, that's been on my mind is I think that as a, as a conference that we need to be forward thinking on is, and maybe you guys are already doing it, but, um, you know, with the national anthem, you know, with the NFL, and I think the things that we'll, we'll continue to see is what platforms are we going to allow our teams to have um, to voice their opinion during the season, because that is coming. And I think we'll see the NFL be together in, in unity. And, um, you know, it's just always been with the Missouri Valley and I know different reasons why we're not out there during the national anthem, but needs to be some discussions that I know our team has, has had and is going to have about wanting to be out there during the national anthem. And, and uh, it's something that we probably need to talk about. Well, Nick, Kyle, Sherard, David, Danon, Thank you so much for your honesty today, your transparency, and for your input. Thank you for being leaders at your school with your teams and with your families. And I'm so appreciative you could be a part of this conversation and look forward to having more discussions about this on a regular basis. And I just wanted to add too, I'm, I'm very appreciative to work and represent a conference in the Missouri Valley Football Conference that is so progressive and is allowing us to have discussions like this because you're not seeing this with every conference in the country. Um, so I, I wanted to say a thank you to them for the stances that they've put out on what is going on in our country. Absolutely, thanks for having us. Thanks Kelly, we appreciate thank it. You. Thanks Kelly. Thank you. thank you all so much. Thank you, thanks right. guys. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys.